Our New Testament reading comes from Philippians 4. Verses 8 and 9. And I left my bulletin in the pew, so some of the words might be a little different, but you get the general idea. Uh, Starting in verse 8 of chapter 4 of Philippians. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. So we've been in a series for some time now called uh, The Spiritual Rhythms of Jesus, And what we're looking at here is spiritual formation, what it looks like uh, to grow as a Christian into the gospel, into Christian maturity. We've looked at a a number of things throughout the series. Today we are looking at meditation, and we're using this text, uh, Philippians 4, um, 8 and 9. We're just going to jump right into it this morning. Uh, The big picture, very, very quickly, of Philippians is this, you are a commodity. You are a resource meant to be poured out. Not only that you have resources to be poured out, but that you yourself are a resource meant to be poured out. That our lives are meant to be used, not saved. You can save your money, but you can't save you. You can start a 401k, but you can't put yourself into it to withdraw when you're 65 As a redeemed person brought to life by the Spirit, you've had life breathed into you. You've been brought from death out of the pit. You're made in God's image. You have a body and a soul. You're not defined by societal or cultural labels or norms. In fact, you don't have the luxury of self-identifying yourself. God does that for you, and that is a blessing. You're defined as God defines you. And there are parts of you, in fact, the most important parts of who you are as a person are invisible. You can't see them. Your productivity, your enthusiasm, your passion for life, your failures, your successes, your heart, your soul, they're invisible. And one of the elemental parts of who you are is your mind. Your mind. It's this part of us that we can't see, but it's involved in every single decision that we make your entire life is shaped by your mind. And hopefully I'll be able to prove that to you throughout uh, the course of our short time together. All of our advances throughout human history are due to ideas. The most heinous evils ever foisted upon um, certain people uh, started as ideas. The greatest liberties and freedoms that we know today started in the mind. You're here right now, this morning, because of your mind. You thought it was a good idea to be here. Um, There might be other things you wish you were doing right now, especially once you saw me walking up, but you're not doing those things. You're not at brunch, you're here. You're not sleeping in, you're here. That's because you wanted whatever the motivation was, good, bad, or otherwise, you ended up here this morning for a reason. A powerful reason. The mind is so powerful, in fact, that if I want to know what you think, 
I only need to look at how you live. Think about that for a second. If I want to know how you think, I only need to look at how you live. And if, if I want to know how to live, I need to know how to think. In other words, if I want my heart to change, my mind must change. The title of the sermon today is Meditation. Um, we're really going to look at two things, meditation and mission. Uh, last time my, that I preached, my title was probably about ten words too long. So um, we stuck, stuck to one word this time. Uh, but be thinking meditation and mission. If you could add a couple more words in, I would say meditation, the Christian mind, and mission. But let's just go with meditation for now. Um, easy to remember for simple minds like my own. Probably will disappoint some of you. Um, most likely I'll disappoint all of you in some way today. I do apologize in advance for that. Um, I'm not an expert on meditation. Um, I certainly don't claim to be, and uh, I didn't have enough time in seven days to become one, so I am sorry. Um, I know I need to do it more. I know I need to be more quiet. I could use some help to get there. Uh, so I need this more than anyone. But in the short time we have together, um, I, I really couldn't be less interested in giving you good advice. I'm interested in, in good news. I'm interested in something that happened in history that is recorded on these pages that affects you and impacts you right now. Something that a God-man did that transcends time and space. I'm interested in a way of life, a way of thinking that has explanatory power for all the wide variety of circumstances that come at us every day, unceasingly, without end, and unexpected. That's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in how do we think about things in a way that can explain them. That's why we need meditation. We need to know how to think. Because if we know how to think, we know how to live. So, as I said, our, our sermon is going to be in two parts, uh, meditation and mission, and hopefully we will make that connection uh, fairly clear. Um, so, keep an eye on uh, chapter 4, verses 8 through 9, if you can, and uh, we'll be mainly spending time there and a little bit elsewhere as well. Um, so, meditation, what's the, what's the premise? What's the big idea here? Um, part of the big idea is that meditation is not volume. Exclusively. If you're anything like me, maybe your gut reaction when you hear the word meditation is just quiet. But it's maybe more than that. Meditation is not just volume. It's more than quiet emptiness. It's, as the Bible discusses it, it's transformation. Romans 12 um, says, uh, or Paul, he, he com- compels us, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the what? By the renewing of your mind so that you can discern the will of God and approve that which is good and pleasing and perfect. Philippians 4.8, we see these um, lofty virtues. Honor, truth, justice, and, and purity. Do you think these things aren't intended to change us? Do you think that this is something we can, we can read and then be unaffected by it? It's not. We come to a passage like this and we must wrestle with it. Um, maybe some of you tuned me out when you saw the title of the sermon because that seems weird to you and you just want to get through the next 25 minutes. Do you really think you don't need to change? If you tuned me out from the beginning. Uh, meditation, it's for the outspoken and the introverted. Um, the quiet artist and the life of the party. It's for everybody, but something has gone wrong 
in our effort to be more quiet, in our effort to be more focused, whole people. And sin that comes from inside of us has so corrupted every part of who we are that it has hit our hearts and it has hit our hands and our head and has left a lot of us spinning. This is what some theologians call the noetic effects of sin. Noetic coming from the word gnosis, knowledge. How has sin affected your mind and addled it? But it's not enough. I don't, I don't want you to hear me saying it's not, that it's enough simply to be a more intellectual Christian. A better theology, better doctrine. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying to you is that our minds are just as broken as our hearts, but the gospel, it works to renew our faculties, to renew every part of who we are, and that it forgives our sins and changes us into different people. And that's great to say in generalities. What I want to do is go through a list of some specific ways that sin affects our mind. Because remember, if I want to know what you think, I just have to look at what you do. And these two things cannot be separated as much as we try. So I'm going to go through this list. Um, There is no test. And I I know that sermons and lists are not always a happy couple. Nevertheless, um, there's 14 things. Maybe one of them will stick out. How does sin affect our minds? Ignorance, distractedness, forgetfulness, prejudice, faulty perspective, intellectual fatigue and inconsistency of failure to draw correct conclusions, intellectual laziness or apathy, dogmatism or closed-mindedness, intellectual pride, vain imagination, miscommunication, and partial knowledge. And these are, these are our, our failures. Um, some more than others. It's our, it's our fault. It's our sin. It's what comes from inside of us. For our minds not to work as they were intended to, that is sin and must be addressed. And that is where change happens. Because look at the contrast between that list, things like ignorance, prejudice, closed-mindedness, intellectual pride, vain imagination, and what Paul lays out out for us in verse 8. Truth, justice, purity of uh, conscience, loveliness or beauty, commendability, excellence. This is how the gospel begins to renovate you, to change you. That instead of willful disobedience and adherence to these tragic effects of the fall, the gospel guides us into an affection for, a commitment to, and a selfless devotion to these virtues. And I want you to listen to me here. Could it be, consider just for a moment, could it be that part of your frustration in life, in whatever arena, your family, at work, or just thinking about the world and who you are in it, could it be that part of your frustration comes from the fact that your mind is battling between competing assumptions about how the world works. In other words, competing foundations. Like oil and water. How we think about the world. Fundamentally different assumptions about what is true, just, pure, lovely, commendable, and excellent, worthy of praise and celebration. Could that possibly be part of your internal conflict? as you think about who you are and who you are in Christ. Um, At this point, if you're anything like me, which I certainly hope you're not, um, 
you're thinking about all the people who need to think better in your life. Um, If they would just see reason, not that those words have ever come out of my mouth. They have. Um, And I'm just guessing, I'm going to venture guess here, that you're probably not on that list of people who just need to see reason. This is where meditation hits home for me. The problem is not that my mind hasn't connected with my behavior, that lightning hasn't struck, um, that the car is trying to turn over, and if I would just hit the gas enough, then it would finally come to life. The problem is not that my head and my hands haven't connected. The problem is precisely that they are connected. The problem is that I do exactly what I think. But that's the beauty of the gospel, is that so does Jesus. Jesus does exactly what he thinks. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when we see, perhaps more clearly than at any other time, this window into his turmoil, into his humiliation, the conflict between his will and the will of the Father. He says, Lord, if you can take this cup from me, please do. But if it not be your will, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. We see even there, Jesus, he's so committed to his mission, his face is fixed towards the cross, and he will not be waylaid. My problem is that I always do what I think. But the, pro- the, the good news is that so does Jesus. He has meditated on you. He knows you. His love is unsearchable. And even when I can't extract a coherent thought, good or bad, for examination, he sees all my rotten mess and he doesn't turn aside from me. And he doesn't turn aside from you. As, as a victorious king, he goes to battle for my heart, my soul, my strength, and my mind. And he doesn't leave any of it aside. He doesn't let me bifurcate myself into these different parts that I will allow him to work on. But he says, no, I will renovate all of you. And I will start with your mind. He doesn't abandon me to my own abyss. Furthermore, uh, by his spirit, he leads me to step back from myself and move forward in the mission. And this is where our text goes next. Remember, this is a sermon about meditation. Believe it or not. And we're looking at two things, meditation and mission. Because what does our text say? You can look at it. Chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Paul goes into these lofty virtues. If there's anything worthy of praise, what does he say? Think about these things. A better translation, be thinking. Not just a single thought about each one as it is convenient, but let your mind be shaped by these things. The way you think, verse 8. Then what does he say? What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Think these things, practice these things, think and do. Meditation and mission are so inextricably linked in his mind that it doesn't take more than two verses to combine them together. And the God of peace will be with you. Mission. So we talked about the think this, let's talk about the practice this or do this. Um, I understand that, is, that I'm making a big claim. You know, we only ever do what we think that our will is somewhat bound in that way, but it's been set free by Jesus so we can begin to do what he thinks instead of only what we think. Um, so I, I grant that is a big claim. But what might happen when our thoughts are taken captive to the obedience of Christ, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians um, if you, if you have a Bible, you can turn one page back to Philippians chapter 3. 
um, 8 through 11, where you can um, find another way to see the verse. This, this verse is so hugely important for how we understand mission, our role in the world, and to get outside of ourselves and to give legs to our thoughts. Philippians 3, verse 8 says this. Uh, we're going to read uh, just a couple verses here, so stick with me. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, this is huge. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He goes down to verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. That I may know Christ. And what does that lead to? Death. (laughs) That I may know Christ so I might die. But for Paul, what is he saying? What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. It takes us back to the idea of commodity. Will you be poured out? What will your life look like? What will define you? And will you consider that joy if it comes at great personal cost? The God of peace be with you. What did Paul endure? Shipwrecks, beatings, poverty, exposure, imprisonment. You can read all about all these things in 2 Corinthians. Then he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God says to him, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Friends, this morning, your weaknesses, your your disabilities, they serve this body. Your weaknesses serve the mission of God because it points to his all-sufficiency. But I don't want us to stop there because then we're back to short-circuited introspection. I hope that for some of you today, if it be God's will, that courage would click. That the Spirit of God, that wind that blows where it wills, that it would blow into your sails and that you would be willing to follow, willing to risk, willing to put the past behind you and press forward, fixated on the cross, fixated on the resurrection of Christ, fixated on the life that he has called you to. I hope that for some of you that courage would click today. That you'd be willing to have your mind changed, to have it shaped and to have it transformed. Well, we didn't really answer what Paul, what he means here. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Besides what we've talked about, what else did Paul teach and offer and speak and do for this church? Give them Jesus. They learned about Jesus from him. They received Jesus from him. They were taught Jesus by him. And they saw Jesus through him. This is not the only place in the New Testament that speaks about Jesus in this way. Being offered to people in terms of proclamation and true means and demonstration. Look at how 1 John begins. That which, I love this, I love the beginning of this 
letter. That which was from the beginning. Remember what we just saw in verse 9. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Why? Why does he say this? We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Joy is complete only in Jesus. You can think long and hard about all the high and lofty and refined and thinky thoughts of man. But until they lead you to him, they have not reached their intended purpose, their intended end. All the, all the common beauty in the world pales in comparison to the mind that has considered Christ and found him true, found him honorable, found him pure, found him lovely, and found him commendable, and found him worthy of praise and praised him. It is the God of peace who does this. And as the Spirit of God this week goes to work to transform and renew your mind, I pray that the peace of God would be with you. Let's pray. Father, there's no small irony that in a sermon on meditation, we've made a lot of noise. Lord, I do pray that in our uh, time, in life, in work, in transportation, Lord, in whatever place, we would certainly make a priority to find time for you to be quiet before you and to hear you speak. But Lord, even in our busyness, our anxiety, and the unending speech that we give ourselves every day, Lord, you have spoken with clarity and finality that you love us, that you have thought about us, that from before time, Lord, you were concerned and that nothing would waylay your mission to redeem us and make us your own people. Lord, you have done that. You've accomplished it. Your work is finished. And that's what we celebrate here today. I pray for my brothers and my sisters here this morning um, that in that still small voice, Lord, the wind of your spirit, that it would blow, that we would be swept away by its power, um, that the meditation of our hearts and the words of our mouths would be pleasing in your sight, and that as we come to the table we would see that you have called all of us. You have beckoned all of us to come and receive your grace. Lord, be with us all this week uh, as we seek to know you more um, and endeavor uh, to engage in mission uh, in the world. I pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.